Ten months into a global pandemic that sent office workers home, the white-collar workforce is still laboring from kitchens, dens, and basements. And many have not only gotten used to it, but they don't want to go back. Working from home has its advantages. There's no commute, fewer distractions from chatty colleagues, and you can get the laundry done between conference calls. Employers see dollar signs too, if they can downsize expensive downtown offices. But working from home has its costs. To work culture, to collaboration, and to once vibrant downtowns that offered shopping and dining to legions of office workers. When the pandemic ends, what will the office look like? Employers will be hard pressed to eliminate the flexibility that their workers have grown accustomed to. Today on CQ Future, we have two experts in commercial real estate whose businesses depend on what the future holds. John Mack, senior partner of the New York office design firm HLW, and David Smith, vice president in the Atlanta office of commercial real estate company Cushman and Wakefield. Well, welcome to the show, David and John. We appreciate you joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, John, you wrote a piece for Harvard Business Review last year spelling out the future that you see. You talked about a more distributed model for offices where they're incorporated into neighborhoods and the buildings that house them also house dwellings and shops. Talk a little bit more about that, about what you see happening. The, um, the article really was generated by a, uh, an in-house kind of brainstorming. We took designers from across our offices, uh, West Coast, here in New York uh, and in London, and we spent two days really talking uh, around the subject of what's next, um, how does the pandemic influence uh, what's going on and what will happen uh, in terms of what we're doing, which is primarily office and workplace design. And really, that was the generator for for the article. Um, through that, we looked at, at that time, what was happening now, what we thought would happen um, uh, uh, in the near future, and then what would happen post-vaccine or pre, pre-vaccine, post-vaccine. And looked at it from a, a scale of small, medium, and large, obviously small being uh, those things that are very personal at the desk, um, my, my initial environment to large scale, um, really on an urban scale or suburban scale on what, what could happen. Really, we saw it as a bit of a catalyst in some cases as to how we could um, begin to rethink how we work and what, that, what physical implications that would have. Uh, in terms of the um, various solutions that we, we came up with, Talking about that on a, on a larger scale, uh, one of them being, as you noted, how do we begin to revitalize some of our cities where uh, our firm is uh, headquartered here in New York? Obviously, a lot of retail establishments um, for a number of reasons, but primarily because of closures uh, had shut down um, a lot of vacant storefronts. And we also thought about what that means for communities. Um, communities that people live in and how we could revitalize those, um, really taking a, a bit of a cue from uh, what had been done with um, you know, remote and satellite offices and working and began to think about how the office uh, maybe begins to get uh, further distributed. 
Meaning you, you, you foresee like many smaller offices and fewer large headquarters. I think from what we see and what we've discussed, um, we think the headquarters or the notion of headquarters is still viable, but that will probably shrink in size. Um, you know, it will be a, um, a space probably for more high value interaction as opposed to, um, you know, a large centralized office that everyone must be in. I think you're going to get, um, and we've already seen it, majority of workers uh, who work remotely, that will not go away. That number or percentage may change. Um, but really the reason to come into the office then changes um, from what it was, the, the kind of uh, on-site is the new off-site. Uh, and so when people do come to the office, which will, we think, headquarters, which we'll, we think will be smaller, um, will have a different meaning. And those then satellite offices, whether they be in neighborhoods, um, um, closer to perhaps clients, which is really um, kind of a bit more of a LA model, or um, you know, distributed because of uh, where individuals uh, live, uh, just seem to begin to make more sense. And do you think companies will be looking to save money? That that will be a big driver in their rethinking. You know, it's always a byproduct. I don't think you look at any situation, uh, design situation, without looking at all of those factors, and that becomes one of, the, one of the determining factors. I don't necessarily think that is a driver. I think driver is really more about uh, the employee and the, the health and, and uh, wellness of them and, and, and how they move their organizations forward. A worry that you raised in your white paper on this, David, was about what you called walkable urbanism, the trend toward incorporating offices into thriving urban landscapes. How do we maintain vitality of these places in this new environment? Well, what we've seen in, in our partnership with George Washington University, they've studied uh, these walkable um, areas, both in urban cores, but also in suburban nodes. Um, and so there's been a real uh, premium for investors to be in walkable environments, regardless of whether you're in the CBD uh, you're, or you're outside uh, of the city. And I think you could make the argument that walkability will actually be uh, in more demand post-pandemic um, to some of the things John said, you know, being able to... Um, being able to work anywhere means that going into the office becomes a choice. And so you're going to choose to go to places that you want to go. And, and organizations are going to look for environments just as they were before the pandemic um, that people want to be in where they can work, they can connect, where there's amenities and services that they want to be around. Um, so I, you might see uh, continued movement in development of those types of walkable urban-esque areas outside of the city, which we had been seeing for the last 10 years uh, before the pandemic. Um, but you will also see that in CBD areas that bounce back, uh, I think, once people feel comfortable going out and about um, and doing the things that the city uh, and these walkable areas, wherever they are, really offer. David, you also poured some cold water on the idea that we're all going to be working remotely forever. Um, in fact, you found that a lot of workers were reporting they weren't learning as much on the job and that they weren't didn't have as good a sense of well-being. Do you think we'll see conflicts arising between employers who want people to come back and and, and a divided workforce, some of whom agree and some don't? 
So I think you bring up a really important distinction, which is that organizations can make just blanket policies for everyone in their firm and say, this is the new policy. I mean, some organizations might try that. Um, and historically, certainly some have said everyone's going to be in the office every day and others have said we're going to move to a fully virtual 100% environment. And so th those things on the extreme will still happen, but the norm is going to be some mixed ecosystem of workplaces. Uh, and that's because people work differently. People have different personas and personalities. Um, different tasks work better uh, in different places. Uh, you know, John mentioned the idea of high val uh, value interactions in the HQ. And I think that's a, a an example of kind of distinguishing the type of work we do. Like, I don't need to be in the office to respond to emails. None of us do. Um, and so a lot of functions that are more task oriented and individual work uh, oriented are going to be really effective uh, remotely. Uh, you still might lose some of that social connection and the connection to the corporate culture. Uh, so there may be people in those functions who still want to be in an office. Um, but certainly if you're working in collaborative teams, you're doing complex sales, uh, B2B sales, if you are in R&D, uh, all those types of uh, creative and collaborative teams uh, get a lot of value out of being together um, and some of the serendipity that comes uh, along with that. So to your original question, organizations are going to have to tailor um, and give flexibility across the organization because people are going to have different demands. And we're really going to see this more as an average of what ends up happening where you might have some people who really do want to be fully remote. You'll have some people who want to be in the office every single day. And you, it might average out to where you know your median worker um, is in the office two, three, four days a week. Um, but there's more remote work happening than we saw pre-pandemic. John, let me turn back to you. I, you know, there's a, I think in the past, there's been a sense that if you're the remote person, if you're in the conference call and you're the video in the video screen and everyone else is in the room, um, that you were at a disadvantage, that it was perhaps harmful to your career to be the one who's not there. And there was pressure to, to be back in the room. And I, I suspect if we go to this sort of flexible environment where people have more choice that peer pressure may drive people back to the office. Is there anything to that? You know, it, it may. I think that um, you're absolutely right. In the past, um, you know, pre-pandemic, um, the idea is that we, we call it remote equity, where individuals um, based on statistics were 50% less likely to be promoted compared to their colleagues who were in the office. Um, but the rules have changed. We had a client roundtable probably about four months ago, five months ago, where um, there was one particular client who was part of a very large tech company based, uh, which was based on the West Coast. Uh, he was the New York representative. And he said, you know, until, until the pandemic, I really was that, you know, head in a box on the screen. And now um, I feel much more equal to my peers in terms of participating in conversations, et cetera. So that, uh, that has changed the model. Um, will there be peer pressure when all of this comes back? Yeah, the pendulum's going to swing back a bit. There may be, but I think it's going to be much more a part of the norm. Um, uh, and I think that there's a lot of sympathy from everyone who, is, who has existed in that world um, since the pandemic started. So it's kind of retooling our brains in a sense to think of it um, in a very different way. I wanted to ask you both. So I'll start with you, John. Um, 
how this has affected your business. I mean, I would imagine it hasn't been good, but there have been a lot of surprises out there uh, about the way the economy has reacted. Yeah, you know, initially, um, and I think, you know, with all businesses, we thought maybe three, three, four weeks or so we'll be at home. <laughs> uh, that certainly has changed. And then, you know, reality begins to set in and we, we start to think, hmm, we need to really think uh, quite a bit differently about that. We've, uh, and I'm sure with, um, um, with David as well, we reached out to clients. Um, projects were put on hold primarily, especially for those clients looking for new space, because they just didn't know, one, there was a, um, uh, a bit of a fear factor, but, but two, they didn't know what they were looking for necessarily, and that really based on how much square footage, how many people are coming back in, what are the new models that we should be looking at. So what happened with our businesses large part of it shifted to our strategy um, uh, group and helping businesses really understand, really twofold. One, understand what that new environment might look like for them and their organization, because as we said, each one is going to be a little bit different in terms of what what needs they will have and helping them understand kind of what's out there and what we see. And I think that the second piece of that is that um, you know, you're going to have people who are, uh, you know, really kind of shifting, um, shifting how they think about things, and and uh, you know, given the given the nature of, of you know what's happening. What about you, David? How's it affected the commercial real estate industry? Well, no doubt, if you look at the statistics, um, transactions, leasing, and capital markets, uh, less of that has happened happened in 2020 uh, than we had seen previously. Um, there's a lot going on. Uh, I was on another conversation recently just talking about how much our clients, both on the investor and occupier side, are uh, maybe not making a lot of moves currently, but they're doing a ton of planning, a ton of research uh, on the occupier side in particular, you know, really understanding where their employees are at, uh, not physically, but uh, you know, emotionally and productivity-wise really planning about what their options are, scenario planning. Uh, and so there's gonna be a lot of, you know, our work has been, uh, as it often is, very consultative and working with clients to think through what their challenges are, what, which of those are new, which of those are, um, you know, as, as Jack, John talked about the catalyst earlier, which are just things that got accelerated by the pandemic and they really need to dive into. Um, and there's gonna be a lot of activity that comes out of this as people, um, you know, whatever they decide to do, if they move to different models, hub and spoke, um, if they start to downsize or if they expand uh, their portfolios, because the, this has been a good time for their business. Um, there's going to be a, a, you know, a lot of pent up demand, if you will, in the commercial real estate market coming out of this. Again, I want to ask you both this question. How do you expect pu- public policy to play into this? I mean, I know that cities in the past have really competed to get companies to come to their downtowns and set up offices and they've offered tax breaks and the like. Do you think that that will accelerate once we get out of this mess? I mean, I think public policy will continue to, to play a role in attracting people, um, populations, attracting businesses, um, making environments that people want to you know, set up shop there, either with new businesses or established businesses, and that attracts people and it's a virtuous cycle. Um, as we've seen um, with uh, you know, just positive movement in, in many of our cities over the last 10 to 20 years, 
Uh, and, and I don't expect that that will reverse. I, I think we, we have been seeing a trend um, in terms of net migration south and west uh, in certain places, and that will continue. And we're hearing about that in the news, but these uh, other you know gateway markets like New York and San Francisco are going to continue to be high land. People will want to live there for a number of different reasons, both professional, social, uh, and uh, you know, a lot of really good talent is going to continue to be uh, in those markets. John, let me go back to you. When you're when you're thinking about office design going forward, do you expect that the actual design will change? That the the trend toward these open offices is going away? That we might go back to the closed door spaces of yore? That employers will have to um, try to prevent the spread of illness. Mm. It, uh, they will certainly change exactly what that will be. Um, uh, I'd be lying if I told you what that was and, and what they would look like. Um, there are certain uh, certain components of that. To a degree, uh, open uh, open spaces are actually good. Um, certainly not at the density that we've been doing them in the past. You can have a less dense office um, environment. Um, we've looked at studies with a number of clients already about what um, what the effects of that environment environment might have on their um, on their office space. I think that the the largest part of that is going to be flexibility, um, the ability to change and morph um, in terms of um, um, you know how offices might be reconfigured and how they might. Um, uh, a bit of trial and error as well. I think going back to the idea of what is that office and what is it used for versus why, uh, what work I can do remotely. Um, as David pointed out before, you know, if I'm answering emails or um, I have some offsite meetings, there's no reason why I can't do that at home. However, uh, I'm coming into the office for a very different reason. And I think that that's going to be the biggest change in terms of what those offices will look like. I think an, uh, a specific example in terms of that might be, in terms of change, might be the conference room. You know, what was a space for a collective gathering along around a large rectangular table for people is going to be probably more um, more akin to some of the broadcast models that we do. We do. So that the... Uh, the degree of technology that uh, is incorporated into those spaces to be able to engage those individuals from the outside uh, and using um, virtual and uh, I would think augmented reality as well to make that a much more uh, immersive experience and the room has to support that. So the technology within the offices I think will really amp up. John, you mentioned how initially we thought we'd be back in three to four weeks. Um, It's been pushed back and back and back for many of us. When do you predict the majority of office workers will have the opportunity to go back? Um, <laughs> don't write this down. Uh, I would, you know, it's going to be different in different cities. I think the vaccine is a huge portion of that. Um, getting people comfortable with that fact. I think it really, uh, for most companies, um, you know, even though there may be a desire, it's really, uh, it's not going to happen until um, people feel safe within an office environment. Yeah, what about you, David? What are you hearing from your clients about when they're bringing people back? Well, I think safety, obviously, is that base need. Uh, I think the other thing is, even during this pandemic, um, 
where some offices have been able to, to reopen if they're open at five or 10 or 15% capacity, either by regulation or just by demand from the employees during uh, the health concern, you know, it doesn't offer the things that people really want from the office, which is that full uh, interaction and that connectivity. So there is going to be a little bit of a binary piece to this is once people feel safe, and then how do we get enough people there that it, you start to feel like, oh, if I go in, I'm going to see a lot of people on my team, um, or I'm going to, you know, get to talk and connect with people in other departments that I really might benefit from. Um, so I think that will be uh, the second hurdle. Um, but I think organizations will, um, you know, I, I, again, talking about pent up demand, I think there are a lot of employees who have experienced some benefits from remote work who maybe didn't work remotely before and now want that to be part of their agile work experience. But I think many of us are also very excited to get back into the office on a regular basis and to see people and to do those in-person in things and that connection that we just, uh, you know, you can do over Zoom or Teams, but it's not exactly the same. I mentioned the the cities and their their desire to have office workers in their downtowns and their their eagerness sometimes to offer tax breaks for it. What is your sense of how this is affecting city bottom lines, not having that those legions of workers in their downtowns spending money, um, paying sales tax? I, I think it's had a huge impact. I mean if you're just if you think about New York, I'm sure DC as well, just the loss in revenue of mass transit. Um, people going to and from the office spaces. Uh, I think collectively, going to, the city's, city still needs the revenue. Um, they're going to have to look at uh, perhaps new models um, for that um, in the same way that we're looking at you know, how offices are changing and, and some of the larger shifts. And I think that ultimately they're going to have to work together with uh, business uh, and hopefully with, with uh, designers to begin to figure that that out, what the new model for the city might be. Do you figure, John, that some of those empty offices will turn into something else, retail space or dwellings? Yeah, we've, we've started to see that already. Um, you know, hotels, for example, go, turning into some co-working spaces, you, uh, renting out some of the individual rooms. So they're kind of shifting their models a bit. Um, those are in reaction to what's going on, but I think ultimately... None of those things are off the table in terms of longer-term solutions. I think you have to look at what the um, what the losses, um, what the needs are, and how they can begin to backfill those things to create a model that is uh, more conducive for everyone. John and David, thank you both very much for coming on our show. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. That's all for this episode of CQ Future. I'm Sean Zeller. You can find all our podcasts at rollcall.com and at your favorite podcast app.